Culture Map presents What's Eric Eating? From the Gal Media Studios in Houston, Texas, here's Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. Welcome to What's Eric Eating? Culture Map's weekly look at Houston's bar and restaurant scene. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. We have Mike Raymond, the owner of Downtown Whiskey Bar Reserve 101, coming up in a little bit for his triumphant return to the podcast. But before that, I am joined by my good friend and frequent co-host, local restaurant consultant Nathan Ketchum. Nathan, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm I'm alive. That's uh, that's about all I can say. We're recording this. Uh, we're recording this on Monday. We watched the uh, the Super Bowl together. I feel pretty good about the fact that the Patriots lost. Yeah, I'm uh, not necessarily the biggest Eagles fan in the world, but I'm a huge anyone but the Patriots fan. So last night was uh, a good game. It was just a fun game to watch in general. I think. Yeah, a lot of action. A lot of uh, well, not really lead changes. I mean, the Eagles. Basically wire to wire, except for that brief moment in the fourth quarter, but uh, an exciting game, which is really all you can ask for from a Super Bowl. Yeah, for those uh, college football fans out there, uh, the joke is that a, a Big 12 uh, football game broke out during the uh, the Super Bowl. Did you have a favorite commercial? I liked the uh, the Doritos commercial and the Tide, uh, I guess all of the Tide commercials uh, rolled into one. Yeah, I think I think Tide is kind of the consensus winner for the best overall commercial. As stupid as it sounds, I like that Jeep Wrangler commercial where it just showed the the Jeep like fording the stream and climbing the waterfall. I mean, that's theoretically why people buy Jeeps is to go on trips like that. You know, I don't know if you know this, but there's this thing called YouTube, and you can probably just watch hours upon hours of people doing stupid stuff like that. Perfect. Yeah, I will keep that in mind. All right, let us move on to the news of the week. It it. Last week was crazy busy with the announcements about Common Bond and Ripe Cuisine and all kinds of stuff. Uh, last week was, uh, or this week rather, was a little bit quieter, uh, but still a couple of things to talk about. We have some some openings. Uh, David Buer and Eki Probanto, the uh, proprietors of some of Houston's best coffee shops, Greenway Coffee, Blacksmith, Morningstar, and Prelude Coffee and Tea downtown, have opened their latest project, Coral Sword in the East End on Telephone Road. Uh, this one is a little bit different in that they have celebrity business partners. Uh, Hunter Pence, the San Francisco Giants outfielder who used to play for the Houston Astros. His wife, Alexis, and Ming Chen, who is a recurring character on the reality show Comic Book Man, starring uh, Kevin Smith, the director of Clerks, among other things. Um. What makes Coral Sword interesting is that it is devoted to gaming. They have a huge selection of board games. They have comic books you can uh, read from their comic book library. They have a content studio uh, where you can broadcast yourself playing games on Twitch. And they have a huge room for gaming tournaments. Um, Nathan, we keep talking about restaurants as experiences, places where people want to make memories is this an evolution of that, do you think? I mean, what is it about, because uh, I'll say, I stopped by on Sunday and the place was slammed uh, with people playing games. So it's brand new, and of course it has a celebrity cachet, so it's going to be popular. But uh, are you going to the East End to play a round of, uh, hey, that's my fish at Coral Sword? Um, 
you know, I'll, I'll go to check it out, see what it's about. I'm not necessarily going to go to play games, but that's a function of me and my uh, game-hating lifestyle. Um, you know, when I think of Coral Sword, I think of the fact that it's in the East End. It's a new area they're trying to, to bring people to. Obviously, it's not a new area. It's a new area for, you know, restaurants to try to um, bring customers to, restaurants to open up to. Um so I think the fact that they're doing all the games and they're doing the Twitch and they're they're doing this uh I call it the the Twitch is kind of this cool new marketing thing they're doing. Um I think they're doing the games and the entertainment as a way to as a function to bring customers to a place that they might not go to uh if it was just a, a coffee bar. They might just say, Well, we'll just go to Greenway or we'll just go to, you know, these other ones. Um I think it's it's really smart. Is it something that's going to last for ten years? I don't know, but it um, it doesn't need to. If it if it only lasts for two years and ten other restaurants open right around them in the East End, then that's all that matters. You know, I got a taste of. Well, hold on, let me come back to that thought. When I stopped by, I was sort of teasing David about the fact that one of his business partners is in the final year of a. $90 million contract with the San Francisco Giants. Like, you know, does the business really need to make money? And he emphasized to me that that it was built, it's built and conceptualized in such a way, this is not like some rich man's plaything. This is not some tax write-off. They, they actually intend for this to, to be a long-term sustaining business just like all of their other projects. Yeah, if it was a rich man's plaything, they would have opened in the middle of Montrose, in the middle of River Oaks, where everyone could show up whenever they wanted. They opened up in the East End where they probably got a, a really good deal on rent, which is not a thing anyone says in Houston anymore. Um, so that, I think, shows you that, yeah, it, it is something, you know, they're, they're coming up with ideas to, to really try to, to, to make money in this venture. And I will say, I, I have tried a little bit of the food. Uh, they have pizzas that are made at Morningstar and then par-baked and then, you know, heated to order at Coral Sword, they're pretty good. You know, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying they're competing with Pizarro's, but in a part of Houston where there aren't a lot of pizza options or even a lot of casual restaurant options, I think even if you are not a gamer, but you live in the East End or you're a UH student uh, living near campus, this is certainly... A, a welcome addition to the neighborhood. Yeah, that's interesting. I'll have to give it a try. I've never been a big fan of uh, par baking pizza. Uh, I've always been a big fan of giving it a try because if you can find a way to do it successfully, then it's genius. Uh, it's not something I've ever been able to to do successfully, though. Yeah, look, I'm I'm and I'm not holding it out as like Houston's next great pizza, but uh, given the context. And given the relatively affordable price, I think it's definitely qualifies as good enough. Um, and speaking of the East End, or or now moving a little bit west to Edo, um, that neighborhood has another new restaurant that I'm interested in. Uh, this is Leland House, uh, a new project from the owner of its neighbor uh, around the corner. It took over the Arlo's Ballroom space. Uh, right now, kind of open for breakfast and lunch uh, with a good coffee program. It will soon expand to happy hour and then full dinner service and be kind of the restaurant component 
counterpart to Around the Corner, which is definitely definitely a bar. Um, but we are seeing this transition in the East End as kind of Houston's next inside the loop restaurant destination. Yeah, it's another neighborhood, uh, just like with the East End, that not that long ago there there really weren't restaurants there, and then people took a chance on the uh, the rent. You know, the rent was getting too high, and the rest of the inside the loop. So uh, people took a chance on Edo, as it is now called. Uh, opened up a few places, more people opened up, and now there's just seems like every couple of weeks somebody else is announcing that they're uh, opening up something or, or revamping something else. Um, and it's a really exciting area. Yeah, I know Fred Fowler, who has a show on ESPN 97.5 and is also the editor of Sports Map, lives in that part of the city. Uh, he's been very excited that he now has a, a breakfast and lunch spot, a place to get a good cup of coffee. You know, that's one of those signs that a neighborhood is kind of evolving as a restaurant destination. Uh, certainly Nancy's Hustle has gotten a lot of buzz. Uh, it's a place that I've been really excited about. And eventually the uh, agricultural concepts are going to open down there. So uh, definitely a neighborhood in transition and definitely, I think, a place that uh, I'll be tracking uh, throughout 2018. Yeah, when all that opens up, it's really going to be, there's just going to be so much. I think uh, if the agricultural concepts are as good as we hope they are, uh, Nancy's Hustle is I'm going to say it's great at this point. Um, this uh, Leland House is is interesting. I haven't been there yet, uh, but I do want to try the uh, the creme brulee French toast, which doesn't look like French toast. It looks like uh, bread pudding, but I'm okay with that. Um, yeah, that's never a bad thing. Their chef there is Jennifer Hoffman, and and I think she's just got kind of a creative touch on these kind of Southern inspired classics um, that are staples, stuff you can eat every day. Yeah, it's it's really nice to live in a neighborhood where you have ten different options to eat really good food. Um, what's the name of the poke place that's right next to Seaside? Seaside. That's a it's a good little poke place. Um, there's that uh, a couple, you know several cool bars. It's a really good neighborhood, uh, and it's nice that uh, Leland House joined the joined the neighborhood for people to be able to grab breakfast and lunch right now, some coffee, and then hopefully dinner soon. I think I saw that they were going to do a steak night. Yeah, they want to do, uh, yeah, uh, Around the Corner has a steak night. Um, so they're going to kind of work in conjunction with that. Leland House is going to have like a Sunday supper with like a slow braised or, you know, slow like family style dinner option. That's kind of exciting. Um, so, yeah, more more coming as that concept sort of staffs up and gets its feet under it. But uh, given the response to it in terms of the readership on Culture Map, there's definitely excitement about what's going on over there. Uh, and then just briefly, I want to note that Frank's Backyard, the long-awaited bar companion to downtown institution Frank's Pizza, uh, has finally opened. It's a, a two-story uh, space with uh, a bunch of beers on tap and some other options. Uh, Nathan, I, I don't want to dwell on this, but you used to work, used to own a restaurant downtown, uh, the much-lamented Samba Grill. Were you a Frank's Pizza fan? Was that your late-night spot? It was my delivery while I lived in downtown. I never really hit there late night, um, but I was a, I was a Frank's Pizza fan. Um, definitely, I think this is a cool idea. That spot has was always pretty cool. So turn it into kind of like a little beer garden with the the upstairs patio. They have the uh, Airstream 
trailer that they've turned into a bar. Uh, it's going to be a cool little area. Downtown is definitely turning into um, less of just a function of a business society and more of a really hip area to go hang out. Yeah, I know when I was uh, when I was growing up in Houston, the idea of anyone being downtown after about five o'clock was basically unthinkable. Uh, we've seen ever since about 2013 that that's really changed. And and for Frank's backyard, they're going to be right next to the Heinz Tower, the RS Market Square. Um, that gives them just a built-in population of people who are going to be looking for beers late at night. So I I mean I think this is going to work out really well for them. And if you happen to be downtown, if you say start your night with a couple of margaritas at All Big Bad, you can do a little. Uh, you can walk that block, kind of walk up and down Main Street, and then finish with a beer, a beer and a slice at Frank's. It sounds like a pretty good night to me. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't remember how many taps they had, but it, it was not insignificant. And then you add that in with Flying Saucer, who has always had a really great beer list in downtown. Um, it could be a, a nice little, you know, walking area for for some good beer. All right, and then uh, I rounded up what I described as. Uh, 14 things to know in Houston restaurants. I included a whole bunch of chefs changing jobs, including the news that Brandy Key has left Clark Cooper Concepts, that uh, Martha DeLeon has left Pax Americana and moved to Seattle. The news that Gary Lee, who had been slated to open uh, a restaurant at the Bravery Chef Hall, has taken a job with uh, Momofuku and will be moving to New York. Uh, Nathan, was there any item in my list of what Eater lovingly calls chef shuffles that caught your attention in particular? So there's a couple. Uh, the the Martha de Leon one heading to Seattle caught my eye as someone who loves Seattle and spends time there. I'd love to see where she lands, what she does. Um, I thought her food was very, very well done. And if she can get to Seattle and really get that Seattle twist on her food, I think it would fit in very nicely. Um, and then the... The chef changed at Starfish. The chef from Benji's heading to Starfish. I think it'd be a, a cool fit. Yeah, I mean, I have liked Joseph Stasich's work uh, at the Carbach Brewery when they opened their restaurant. And then I know we've disagreed about the relative merits of Eloise Nichols, but but I've had good meals there, and I thought Joseph did a nice job for them. So, And Starfish is a restaurant we both really like. So it'll be interesting to see how he puts his spin on that menu because uh, I know that the owners, uh, Lee Ellis and Jim Mills, have a pretty firm idea of what is and isn't appropriate for starfish. Yeah, they're going to have their hand in everything that's that's done there. Um, but I've definitely had really good food by him. Eloise Nichols was uh, not my favorite restaurant in the world, if I'm going to be nice. Um, but I, I would think that had more to do with the owners than the chef. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I I like the owners personally too, uh, Nick Adair and uh, Kelly Adair Barnhart, but it, it is a, you know, it's a River Oaksy kind of neighborhood spot that's designed to appeal to a wide range of people, and and I can see how it could be inconsistent given how busy it was, especially when they opened. Um, so I don't know where they're going without Joseph, but I I, I feel like that had kind of solidified. He was ready for a new opportunity, and I I think Starfish is is ripe for maybe a little bit more experimentation, maybe a slightly more modern approach. 
and he could certainly bring that. Yeah, I do have to say that Eloise Nichols actually had my favorite uh, fish and chips in the entire city. It was just like thirty something dollars, so it was kind of hard to 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 do more than you know once or twice. Uh, but it was very good. Um, but it was very expensive. And then uh, one other news item I just want to note briefly: uh, I had Ian Tucker, the owner of Balls Out Burger, on the show uh, a few months ago. He talked then about Puchin, the restaurant that he's opening in Sawyer Yards that will be uh, cocktail forward, uh, obviously more sophisticated from a culinary perspective. He has found the chef who's going to help him execute that vision. Dominic Lee, who had been the executive sous chef at Karen's for the last year, has signed on to that project. This feels like a good fit to me. Uh, Dominic is a guy who's gotten some buzz for the work he did for Karen's, very focused on uh, using local ingredients, very focused on seasonality, bring some credibility in the market uh, to this project that's got to have a pretty broad appeal just given how how big it is and, and where it's located. Um, Nathan, have you been to Kieran's? Have you met Dominic? I've never met him. I, I've definitely been to Kieran's several times. The food is always great. Um, been to the new location once, had a really good meal, um, so I think it's, it's probably a good fit. Um, I don't know the type of food that he cooks, you know, when he's outside of Kieran's and the type of food that he has a passion for. So I don't really know how this fit will, will work. Um, what type of restaurant are they going for in terms of food? So they've been a little bit vague about that. I, I think that's still kind of a work in progress. Uh, Dominic is from New Orleans and so the kind of food that he's really passionate about are those. He said one of the things he told me when I talked to him for an interview was that uh, he likes the food. He thinks that the food chefs learned to make before they were chefs, that is to say, as they were growing up in their childhoods, um, is always going to be some of their favorite food to make. And so he wants to utilize uh, not just his personal memories of growing up in New Orleans, but whatever, uh, life experiences the cooks he hires brings to the table. So my sense is that it's going to be kind of eclectic, um, a very accessible menu designed to have kind of a broad appeal. It's a, it's a pretty big space for what it's worth. So they're going to need to fill it up and turn tables and all that kind of stuff. Um, and Ian told me that he wants it to be relatively affordable. Um, and they emphasize that it's, you know, cocktail forward, that they're going to have a, a pretty hefty, bar program so that'll be part of it too we'll see how that works out the thought process of um uh dominic sounds pretty interesting so we'll see how that works out yeah and if he can bring kind of a fine dining ethos at least in terms of ingredients and being thoughtful about his preparations but at a a more affordable price point um i mean that's all to the good because that Sawyer Yards is right next to Washington Avenue. That east end of Washington Avenue has uh, a decent amount of new restaurants um, over the last few years, B&B Butchers, Taco Deli, Kakuri. Uh, Gus's Fried Chicken is coming there soon. There's a local pho that's opened uh, in Sawyer Yards. It's making a little bit of a splash. Uh, Beavers will reopen at some point, as uh, Arash talked about on the show. So there's certainly a lot of potential there. Um for another concept. And by the way, that that view of the downtown skyline from the back of that patio is just banging. 
and for for that if for no other reason i think it'll be worth checking out at least in the beginning is it as good as the view from the the washington target yes it's essentially the same view that's impressive (laughs) all right that does it for the news of the week we will be right back with our restaurants of the week you're listening to what's eric eating So, Nathan, for our Restaurants of the Week, I want to talk about uh, one place that we had dinner recently, which is Willie G's, the Landry's Company's new, well, reimagined seafood restaurant. It had been on Post Oak for a very long time. Now it is at the Post Oak, Tillman Fertitta's new hotel that's about to open up on the West Loop. Uh, I'm just going to throw it to you. We had, a, we had a really good dinner, I thought, at Willie G's. Uh, what did you think? I thought the dinner was considerably better than I expected. Um, whole fish was done very well. I had wood-grilled salt prawns that are probably one of my favorite, um, you know, prawn or uh, shrimp dishes I've had at least in the last couple of years. Um, apps were pretty good. I'd say there was a couple that were just okay. Um, but overall, fairly decently priced if not a little bit expensive, uh, but I thought you got a really, I thought you got what you paid for for the most part. Food was good. I've always been a Willie G's fan. I can't say if that's because for a few years I went there, got half off because uh, the, the person I went worked for Landry's, so we got that, uh, got that uh, employee, the employee discount. discount. Yeah, it makes everything easier. Uh, so I always had that kind of favorable impression of Willie G's, you know, when you pay 50% off for food you you tend to like it a little more uh but you know i i didn't i still didn't have the the highest of hopes going in a brand new restaurant but um it was good i really enjoyed it uh i would go back um and if the choice was between uh, willie g's or mastro's i would go back to willie g's uh whether it was my money or someone else's money i would pick willie g's yeah i think some of the things i really liked about Willie G's first, it's it's a large restaurant, but it doesn't feel as big as it is. They've divided the space up into like a kind of casual area, bar seating. And then there's an actual like counter bar where you can watch the chefs roasting oysters and uh, working the wood burning oven. And then there's a more formal dining room. So different kinds of experiences. There's also a patio, of course, because every restaurant in Houston has to have a patio. Um, that iced display with the fresh seafood just kind of lets you know where you are and kind of set your expectations for what kind of meal you're going to have. I think that's very good. But yeah, I, you know, in a time when uh, three high profile seafood restaurants have closed in the last six months, when Chris Shepard decided not to do seafood for the third incarnation of one fifth, uh, when reef, we're still waiting for reef to reopen. Um, an ambitious seafood restaurant where you can get fish from all over the world, prepared simply wood grilled, pan seared, roasted, whatever. Uh, I think there's definitely still a place for that. And I was pleased to see that even though we went uh, on a weeknight that Willie G's was pretty busy. Yeah. So when you sit down, you get your menus, but there's also a menu in the middle of the table with your whole fish options. And there were several fish that night. It wasn't just, oh, there's snapper whole fish. There were, what do you think, eight different whole fish options? Yeah, I think that's right. Uh, Bronzino, salmon, um, 
redfish, snapper, of course, uh, the fish that our friends got that was kind of like Branzino from Australia. Yeah, I think it was New Zealand. New Zealand, sorry. Um, I don't remember the name of it. I don't either. We should take better notes. Yes, it was delicious, though. Um, it was delicious and very well prepared. Yeah, it was a red-skinned fish. Uh, Brandon Soverall is there. That's good for them. He did really good work at Trinity and then at Salter Seafood Kitchen, so he definitely knows what he's doing. They've got a great front-of-the-house staff led by Ruben Rolf, who was at Fleming's for a long time, and then Seasons 52. Keith Thompson, who was most recently at the Dell. So... There's a lot of experience, um, both in the front of the house and the back of the house. It doesn't feel like a chain restaurant or, or a corporate restaurant. It, it really does feel like a, like a very nice, chefy seafood spot. Yeah, and I would recommend uh, getting your seafood wood grilled. They, uh, they grill it, and then they finish it in a, uh, a wood-burning oven to get a nice, real kind of smoky wood flavor to it. My... Uh, the salt prawns, which I would definitely recommend ordering, not only were they absolutely massive, but the the smoke flavor that imparted on those were was fantastic. It was really good. Yeah, and then the fried seafood that I had, very classic Gulf Coast, very simple stuff, but uh, very well executed and compared favorably with just about anywhere that you can think of that does that kind of thing. Uh, and then just briefly, I want to talk about a restaurant that I know you haven't been to but that I have become obsessed with because it's been open for almost a month. I haven't talked about it on the show yet. Golden Bagels and Coffee, uh, Avi Katz and Greg Goldstein's new bagel shop on White Oak in the Heights. Um, I've always said that there are sort of three Houston area bagel shops that are worth eating at. Uh, new York Bagels in Meyerland, Hot Bagel Shop on Shepherd near River Oaks, and Bagel Express uh, out in Sugarland. Uh, Golden Bagel definitely gives us a fourth. Uh, Avi and Greg are making their bagels the old-fashioned way with a starter. Uh, they're allowed to proof overnight to build flavor, and they are curing their own Lox and Nova, which is something that uh, certainly no other bagel shop is doing, no other deli in Houston is doing. It makes uh, the fish, uh, I think the, the quality of the fish is very good. I think the flavor is very good. I've been impressed by the spreads. I've been impressed by... The toppings, really the only problem with Golden Bagel is that it has become such a sensation that there is a line out the door on the weekends. But uh, a very exciting new addition to the Heights. Uh, I know a lot of people uh, are searching for a good bagel. Uh, this is definitely one of them. Nathan, what's it going to take me to convince you to wake up early enough to go to Golden Bagel with me? Uh Probably just let me know the day before. I really want to go, actually. Um, those photos are, are pretty tempting, I have to say. Normally, I would uh, I would uh, shoo you off pretty harshly, but um, those those uh, those photos of the Nova and Locks and the bagels um, definitely could uh, get me up. All right, that does it for our restaurants of the week. We will be right back with Mike Raymond from Reserve One Hundred and One. Stick around. You're listening to What's Eric Eating? Joined now by Mike Raymond, the owner of Reserve 101, the downtown whiskey bar that recently celebrated its 10th anniversary. Mike, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me again, Eric. Hey, thanks for doing this. Uh, congratulations on 10 years. Thank you. Uh, certainly uh, 
a big accomplishment for us, and uh, we're certainly very proud to uh, make it this long. I have, I have a variety of topics I want to hit with you, some sort of specific to Reserve 101, some sort of more whiskey scene, theoretical. Uh, spin the wheel. Where do you want to go first? Uh, you know what? what? Whatever works for you works for me, and then I got a little stuff for you too, so, uh, you know. All right. Oh, oh, good. This is... Uh, I try I'm, to come I'm, prepared. I'm ready to be surprised. All right. So tell me about tell me about your the ten years. Um, I know you celebrated with an absolutely ridiculous party. I was looking at the, some of the booze you poured for ten bucks a shot. Uh, I think I am most jealous that I missed out on the Glenlivet forty year. Yeah, that didn't last long. I know it's hard to believe, but that, that made it. Made, I don't even know if it made it to three o'clock in the afternoon, and we opened at two. So, <laughs> <laughs> um. How has the bar changed in 10 years? I mean, what have you, what's different now that, that maybe you're, or maybe that you, you wouldn't have guessed that you would be doing now that you. Well, uh, the, the whole, you know, the whole landscape is completely different. Um, you know, obviously we put together kind of a press release, you know, building up to the 10 year and I'm sure you got it and read it, but you know, in there that, you know, I had to give a quote and the quote, you know, kind of starts off talking about the iPhone was essentially invented and came out within a year before we opened. And so if you think about the fact that there was no such thing as a smartphone, there was no apps, Facebook didn't really exist. It was kind of there, but it wasn't really mainstream where it is today. Uh, no Twitter, no Instagram. So think about how much the world has changed just by social media and, and those sorts of things. Uh, on a whiskey side, whiskey went from being, um, you know, somewhat lost um, to now being the number one sold spirit in the world. So we got a little lucky. I like to think we played a role in helping um, build whiskey um, and help educate people. We bring in, you know, master distillers and brand ambassadors from around the world. We do tastings. Um, so that's a big change. So none of those things existed 10 years ago. You were, you, you've seen obviously so many just structural changes in the, in the area where downtown was, you were, you were right in the middle of, uh, the Harvey relief efforts being, uh, very close to the George R. Brown. And of course you were around for all the world series celebrations. Uh, what was reserve 101 like during the world series? You know, it was great. Um, you know, I really normally we don't see a huge uh, influx from Minute Maid Park. Uh, we would normally see a handful of visiting fans of a, of a team. You know, it used to be the Chicago Cubs fans would come down to Houston because the weather's a little bit nicer. It's a good time of the year. And we'd get some of them kind of before and after. We get a handful of people, you know, but we're eight, 10 blocks away. World Series, what would happen is everything around Minute Maid was just getting pummeled. So people didn't mind walking further out. Plus parking, I, you know, I was parking like 100, 120 bucks. Yeah. You know, around Minute Maid. So you could park by us and maybe it was like 15 or $20. So um, it was great. You know, um, I really felt that the Astros were maybe a year or two away from being, you know, a team that could uh, contend for a World Series. But everything kind of fell the right way. And the team got hot. Um, the city really embraced them. They embraced the players. And um, it's the first time outside of the uh, the Comets winning championships that I've lived in Houston that we've actually won a championship. 
you know, we've we had we've had teams that were close and teams that we thought had a, had an opportunity. Uh, I was working at Strip House the last time the Astros were at the World Series. Um, but man, just great for the city. You know, you you, you have to be happy. Um, I, I'm real excited for the Texans next season. Um, if we can stay healthy, I think the Texans are going to be a team that's going to contend. And the Rockets are killing it. I mean, absolutely killing it right now. Yeah. Are you getting like a post-game pop from Rockets games? We do every game. Every game. Now, you know, football Football is always kind of like the main sport in Houston. And, and you know, obviously the Astros uh, winning. People got kind of pumped up for that. This is about the time of year when we start seeing um, Houstonians getting really excited about the Rockets. Uh, what they just did uh, against Cleveland is ridiculous. I mean, something like 30-some-odd points, 32 points they won by. Um, you know, that's, that's pretty impressive. And um, I, I would expect a very good playoff push. Uh, they, can, they can play with anyone in the league. So there, there's no doubt that they could make it to the finals. So then, is that helping kind of recover from the post-Harvey slowdown? I know, I know a lot of bars and restaurants downtown have been feeling the pinch a little bit. You know, you know it's funny. We haven't really felt the pinch that other people have been feeling. Um, and I, I'm kind of curious. You know, I haven't looked at anyone's sales in a long time. The, the state has kind of changed how the website operates, so I haven't quite figured out what I need to figure out to. We can talk later off air and if you've figured out how to get, find where sales are. But and, and really the only reason why I bring it up because I'm curious. I, I have heard people, you know, mumble about sales and people that you normally don't hear mumbling about sales, mumbling about sales. So um we've been pretty good we lost um you know what it comes out to be about two weeks of of business uh you know the first week we had the storm so we kind of you know couldn't do anything we had no damage we were ready to go immediately in fact we didn't even lose power which is incredible for us because we almost lose power on on a breezy day um but there was no one downtown uh no one really came back to downtown or work until after uh labor day so you know, we lost two weeks of sales and then, um, you know, back at it. And we haven't really had too much of an issue. It's been a little bit of a roller coaster here and there. You know, we lost two days with the, the ice and, and freezing rain and everything, but so did everyone else. So we, we, we deal with it. So you celebrated uh, the 10-year birthday with the party. Do you have other plans over the course of the year to celebrate 10 years of Reserve 101? Well, nothing per se. You know, to be honest with you, we actually spent from the time of our nine-year anniversary to our 10-year anniversary celebrating. So we did a bunch of, of uh, barrel picks, you know, single barrels, uh, with the last one being the balconies that we, uh, you know, got lucky enough to de- debut that day. Um, there was, it was a little hit or miss. We picked it right about a week or so after Thanksgiving uh, up in Waco, and then it got to Houston Thursday was the party showed up in Houston on Monday, but then Tuesday, Wednesday, this entire city was shut down because of the, because of the ice. So, uh, we got lucky. So the, the bottle showed up, um, Jared and Winston, Jared being the head distiller at Balcones and Winston, their international brand ambassador came down from Waco, um, which is great. And, and it's the first time they've ever done a private bottling. So certainly very excited. They, they you know, 2018 is 10 years for Balcones as it is for reserve. 
Um, and that's kind of it. And, you know, we'll keep doing the tastings that we do. We're going to roll out a new cocktail menu April, April 1st. Uh, so right now we're in the final stages of putting everything together. Staff will be given uh, the recipes and, and all that kind of stuff. And we can kind of talk through if there's any kind of changes we need to tweak on, on the specs of the drinks. And, and, and really then get a photographer and all the, all the usual hoopla we need to do for, you know, people like Eric Sadler and, and Culture Map who want <laughs> pretty photos to post when we roll out new drinks. Well, it's, it's either you send me pretty photos or I show up with my iPhone. So that's, it's really on you, Mike Raymond. It's just, hey, what do you, you know, want? Either way. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I've never asked you not to come by and hang out and have a drink. That's undeniably true. Do you still kind of take the lead on developing those cocktail menus or, or how does that get put together these days? So I would say a little over a year ago, I started taking a back seat on them. And over the last couple of years, I've really have been trying to scale back uh, what I do in the day-to-day stuff. With that said, I'm still at the bar, you know, roughly six days a week. And I think this past Saturday, I put in like a 16-hour day, including hopping by in the bar for a few hours. So that, that's me scaling back. Um, so, uh, obviously, uh, we, we had Leslie, and I guess that's breaking news, but Leslie uh, uh, Krockenberger, her husband, has taken on a new role with the company he's with and is going to be on the road a little bit more. So, essentially, she's now um, what I'm calling a soccer mom, and she's being home with the kids and, 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 and doing that. And so well, she's, she's popped up on another uh, upcoming establishment's social media. I don't, I don't know if that's a... I don't know if that's a full-time role or if she's just uh, I don't know. Uh, consulting. Uh, you know, I don't know. And, uh, you know, I, obviously I talked to Frank the other day. I haven't talked to her in probably about a week. But, um, you know, so it was always Leslie and uh, Ryan Holcomb who were working on them. And, and I was kind of like the overseeing what they were doing and kind of putting my two cents in and that sort of stuff. Uh, so this menu is going to be a little influence of Leslie, uh, a lot of Ryan, and a little bit of myself. So, and then you mentioned, uh, the barrel pick from Balconis that you guys, um, just released. It seems like more and more bars and restaurants are touting, uh, their barrels. Certainly, uh, you know, Morgan Weber and Kevin Floyd of United to get more barrels to, uh, Agricole and the, the underbelly affiliated restaurants. Um, it's something that you've been a part of for a long time at reserve. I think that's safe to say. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, started doing it. I couldn't even tell you maybe five, six years ago. Um, so for, for, for a hot minute, uh, we are scaling it back a little bit. Uh, a, you know, to a certain degree, the market is saturated with, as you're saying, there's a lot more places doing barrels. Uh, so for the average consumer, it, it, it kind of loses a little bit of its novelty. Uh, with that said, we get access to things that other people don't get access to. So what I'll do is kind of look at certain things and say, yeah, you know, for sure, uh, I'm, I'm down for doing this one or that one. Uh, with that said, also is uh, I'm about to pick another barrel of Blanton's. So Blanton's is one of our top selling whiskeys. We go through, I mean, a lot. And the only way I can keep up with having it in stock on our back bar to sell to guests coming in looking for it is by buying a barrel. So that's more of a necessity out of, you know, of having something that everyone wants and, and, you know. 
Right. I mean, Blanton's is one of those bourbons that if you see it on a shelf, you should probably buy it because who knows when you're going to see it again. Exactly. And, uh, you know, we... We want to provide the things for people that, at the best of our ability. You know, as far as I know, Sazerac's not going to sell me a barrel of Van Winkle. So, but you never know. <laughs> keep keep plugging. You never know. Maybe you never know. Maybe the ten year. Yeah. Who knows? Um. So what? I'm so so in that environment where they are becoming a little bit more common. What what makes you pull the trigger on a specific barrel? Or is there obviously not Van Winkle? But is there something that you like? If I could get a barrel of that, I would I would do that in a heartbeat. I don't know. I, I feel like um, out of the options for barrels out there, we've done them. So, um, you know, things that would kind of pique my interest is, say, like an Angel's Envy, you know, where we've, you know, they, they have a program where you get to uh, kind of blend your own uh, through different forms of maturation of the, the port finish process. Um, but it would be pretty cool to go back there and kind of tinker and toy with some different barrel types where you get to kind of have your own. So similar to like what we did with uh, Whistle Pig, where they um, had barrels in various uh, casts that they finished that ended up going into Old World. We ended up buying a barrel that didn't go into Old World that's never been released, Whistle Pig. So that that's kind of, you know, something like that gets me excited. Um, I know... Uh, Morgan and those guys did the uh, Maker's Private Select. We did that back in April, and I know you tried it uh, the last time you came through. That's a really cool program. So we, we might do that again. The, what they're saying is that over time they're going to retire different staves and then introduce new staves. So it's the, you know, you're adding new flavors and new options to things. So you know, maybe that's something that we look at in the springtime, go out to Kentucky again and do that. Um, so there's some opportunities for that. The, the Balcones was, was a no-brainer. So they've never done a single-barrel um, program or private bottling for, for anyone. So the fact that, A, that they're willing to do it with us, and that they, we did the single malt, which has always been my favorite product that they put out. Uh, so we went out on a Sunday, so a pretty great Sunday drive up to Waco and, and hang out in a distillery with, uh, with a handful of people and, and that's it. And we get to go through some stuff and we ended up going with a, uh, European Oak aged, not finished. So hundred percent aged in, in European Oak. Normally they use American Oak. So really unique flavors and, um, you know, again, no brainer. Yeah. I, I mean, I've been curious to see, um, the uh, Houston Bourbon Society on Facebook is now picking their own barrels for retail distribution. Uh, I am amazed at the speed with which they sell out. I think the last one, I don't, I don't remember which spirit it was, but I think it, it was gone in like two hours. Yeah. Well, and, and again, I'm not sure off the top of my head what their membership is like on Facebook, but maybe yeah, it's I like 2,500 people in yeah. round roughly. So 2,500 people. For 150 uh, bottles. Yeah, 150 to 250 bottles. And, and essentially, they pre-sell everything. So it's a little bit different. So like when we do our barrels, uh, again, the Whistle Pig, we weren't uh, allowed to do retail sales on because they didn't want to sing on a shelf or anything like that. Um, but uh, usually what we'll do is we'll say, hey, if you guys want a barrel, so if you want a barrel of the Balconies, go over to Tony K's over on Bissonette. Or, or any of the other ones, and we allow Tony K's to sell X amount of, from that barrel. And then the rest we, we keep for the bar. 
and you know right i have a, a bottle of stranahan's and a bottle of uh weller antique that were reserve 101 picks yeah and we'll probably do another weller as well i mean again we need yeah. it on the shelf so. right and it's such a no i mean it's super yeah. popular everybody yeah. wants it exactly. weller 12 would be cool that probably won't happen though. so the weller originally was going to try to be a 10 year old and for our 10 year anniversary the problem is is that you're trying to time what is available like what's 10 years old and you know ready to be bottled and and that's that's it, it becomes a little tricky but i could say that like ours was a seven-year-old that was you know kind of earmarked to be a van winkle you know down the road and uh and then we were able to do it non-chill filter so bigger flavors and uh better mouthfeel uh so that became you know again a no-brainer now We've we've kind of joked about some stuff. So like the antique collection is a W.L. Weller, right? There's no age statement on it. And essentially they could do a Weller and put it in a W.L. Weller package, right? Right. Nothing saying you can't do it. So it's a matter of whether or not they feel like doing it. And if they did, that's cool. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's still the same juice. It's just, you know, higher proof. That's about it. Right. So we'll see. Uh, one of the other interesting things Morgan Weber said to me when we talked about uh, uh, the barrels and the, and the Pappy giveaway or the, the Pappy at cost that he does at Row Flint is that he heard a a bourbon bar owner yelling at a goody-goody rep because he was unhappy with his Pappy allocation that he didn't feel like he could be a legitimate bourbon bar without Van Winkle on the shelf. Uh do you have a take on the Van Winkle phenomenon? I mean, is it is it worth drinking? Is it worth what people pay for it? Well, you know, when we when we get into the conversation, is it worth it when we're talking dollars and cents? Listen, if if you have the the money and the wherewithal to drop down say 5 or 10 or 20 or 50,000 dollars on a bottle of whiskey, well, then to you, it's worth it. If, if, if you don't have the, the money to do it, then it's not worth it. So um, with that said, when it comes to actually, if you've never had a Van Winkle product, try it. You know, I, I think most places that have it will do a half pour on it. So it's a little bit more conducive price-wise. Morgan does break-evens with them where you're getting them at, you know, essentially at cost. Um, you know... We do it in July 4th. You know, we do it normal price. We don't, we don't jack it up more than, you know, the, it's the same markup we put on anything else that we have in the bar. Right, which so just for the record is what we're uh, uh, one and a half ounces costs about a quarter of a bottle price. That's kind of a standard. Yeah, I mean, generally what you're talking about is a uh, 20% cost. And that's pretty standard in the industry anywhere, you know, in the world. Now, some people might go down to like 18% cost. Um, I, you know, some people may go up to 25, but I, I, off the top of my head, I wouldn't know too many places that are in business for a long time. And, and, and again, running, running a bar or restaurant, there's a very, very simple matrix of breaking things down to percentages. And if you do everything right and you actually hit the sales that you project to do in that month, you should be able to do 20 to 25% profit, uh, for the month. So what do you, so when someone comes in and it's, February and you sold all the Van Winkle in, in July and August. What do you recommend? Like, where do you, where do you suggest people start who want that kind of experience? Well, you know, again, Weller's a great place, right? So it's the same mash bill and, and everything else, but you know, 
it really depends on what are you looking for. Are you looking for something that sat in a barrel, a new charred oak barrel for 15 years, 20 years, that sort of thing? Then, you know, like Jefferson's uh, just came out with their presidential again, 16 years old. Uh, that's been gone for a while. That's a great opportunity. Uh, wild turkey is doing things like decades and the master's keep. That's like a 17-year-old wild turkey. So if you're looking for a very woody flavored thing or, you know, short of licking the inside of a barrel, uh, I, I say go go to that option. All right. And then. One of the, some of the feedback that I heard from your first appearance on this podcast in July is that there are still, even though bourbon has become whiskey has become so popular, there are still people who are entering the category all the time. Where yeah. do you recommend they start? Like what what's a good place to kind of figure out what what you might like? You know what I would really recommend is is to go to a whiskey bar. You know, and I don't care if you come to Reserve or if you go to Poison Girl or you go to Eight Row Flint or Federal Grill or anywhere, Julep, I mean, Anvil, go, I mean, any of these places. Um, you know, and, and kind of where I put kind of a little asterisk next to Poison Girl is that Poison Girl really is focused on American whiskey. So if it's American made whiskey, they have it. And, uh, and the only reason why I'm putting an asterisk next to them is that what I would recommend is. They take taste of a variety of d- different types of whiskey. So it doesn't necessarily have to be American whiskey. This has to be bourbon or rye uh, or American single malt. Try Irish whiskey. Try Canadian whiskey. Try Japanese whiskey and try some different things and see what you like. Um, if you're at a good bar with a good whiskey selection, the bartender is going to be able to help walk you through some different things and kind of talk to you about flavors and what you're tasting and, and, and that sort of thing. And then once you kind of find something that you like, you know, th- there's a great opportunity then to start figuring out, well, why, what, what is it that I actually like? Right. What is it about this that I like? Yeah. And how can I get something that tastes kind of like this, but a little different? Yeah. And then, you know, and then again, if you want to, you can go to your local liquor store, pick up a bottle and, and try it at home or keep going to bars either way. But, the you know, the idea is, is that you want to go somewhere where you have an opportunity to try a variety of different things without having to pony up money and buy full bottles. Um, but speaking of ponying up money to buy full bottles, is, is there, is there anything on a shelf that people should be looking to snap up if they see it right now on the yeah. shelf, uh, besides our balcony single malt that you can't get anywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, I'm going to Tony K's after this, okay. before this is yeah. published so that yeah. I can get one. Exactly. So, um, you know, there's a few things here and there. I mean, again, that Jefferson's presidential, definitely. It's uh, about. 150 200 bucks somewhere in that neighborhood yeah. but but again you know again if you if you have the wherewithal to buy two bottles sit on one if you're into that you know into flipping bottles and that kind of thing sit on it for a couple of years it's only going to go up in value uh have a bottle to try uh this past year's release of uh lefroy karchis uh, to be honest with you, I wasn't going to bring it in, uh, just more of a space type issue at reserve. And Simon Brooking was in town right before Christmas and brought in some for me to try. And I was like, uh, yeah, I got that one wrong. So, uh, so obviously we've, we've picked up a few bottles. Um, it's not sold out yet. That's a great one. Uh, I just tried the new Glimmerangi, uh, private edition, hundred uh, percent aged in rye cask. So, um, so there's a little spiciness. Uh, there's no age statement, but figures right around 
10 years old, so it's going to be similar to the original, which is aged, uh, you know, in first and second fill extract Daniels barrels. And this is going to be a rye whiskey from the barrels were aged in Kentucky, but they were made at MGP. I'm not allowed to say what the whiskey was in there, but it was a 95 <laughs> five mash bill, which is uh, MGP. And, um, you know, they were hanging out in the Spetzel Weller distillery or what was the Spetzel Weller distillery. So you, can, I think people can figure out what it was smart. Yeah. The, you can, you can go on the, uh, Houston bourbon society and, yeah. and in the, in what, what I'm sure will be a lengthy, uh, thread of conversation about this podcast where people try to sniff yeah, that out. Well, again, exactly. So we can, uh, you know, help you get as many listens as possible here. Yeah. I, yeah this is, uh, your first episode remains one of the most popular episodes of this podcast. So. Yeah. And that's why I'm here again. I said, as soon as you told me, I was like, I'll come back again and we can stir the pot a little bit and get people excited. Um, so, and then I'm, I'm going to ask what I believe is probably the most self-indulgent question I've ever asked in, in the history of the show. Uh, I'm turning 40 in May. What what bottle should I buy to celebrate my birthday? Like what should I, I what should I be you. looking to splurge on? So I so uh, in in uh, all candor, uh, Eric and I have had this conversation uh, about a month or two ago. But uh, you know what? But I had been but I had been drinking and and now I I want a record of it yeah. so I can remember. So it's on tape so you can go back. Yeah. perfect. Uh, so Glenn Farkless forty. Um, it's still one of the best bang for your bucks out there. The price is going up on it, but retails under $500 for a 40 year old bottle of, of scotch, uh, space side family owned and operated. Um, and on top of the fact that the grant family that owns and operates it are just good people. And, um, the story goes, so George Grant is the son who is essentially the global brand ambassador. He's going to be running the distillery at some point. Whenever his dad retires, he'll take over. Um, so in Scotland, the ATM you know, has a um, kind of governing device that you can't take out more than 300 pounds a day. And he has it priced essentially at like 290 pounds <laughs> so that he could essentially just hit the atm take out 300 bucks or 300 pounds and go to the store and buy it and he doesn't have to explain to his wife what he spent <laughs> money on so that's that's the story that's the story out of the horse's mouth and as he's told me before so i get a good chuckle out of it all right i'm gonna forward this to uh my mother and my sisters so they know perfect they know what to get me for my birthday um mike the last time you were on the show you alluded to uh the idea that maybe you're thinking about what your next project might be uh you said earlier on this broadcast that you're taking a step back trying to trying to give a little more control to to some of reserve 101's employees uh does that mean that you're making progress on what's next i am and you know i was really hoping to be able to uh tell tell you everything uh but i am in the process of opening a a, a second bar and uh, it's going to be a new company, a new partnership, uh, essentially new everything. <laughs> you want to give us a hint, like uh, maybe the neighborhood or the, the concept? I mean, Sure. So I'm not going to give the location. So part of the issue is, is that we ran to a little sticking point last week on, on the lease. Um, I have full confidence that we'll get it sorted out, but the landlord slash property owner did not like the name we came up with, which is to me kind of unheard of, but you know, we're, we're, we're literally in the process. Uh, within an hour of me leaving the studio, I will be on a conference call with my business partner to 
go over names and try to come up with something new. So we will say that it's inside the loop. Um, it is not going to be a single spirit uh, focused bar. So reserve being a whiskey focused bar, we're, we're not doing that. So it's going to be um, somewhat cocktail oriented, uh, but we want to take a little bit of a different approach. And, you know, really the big one is, is so I'm partnering up with uh, one of my really good friends, uh, Michael Neff. So for those who don't know Michael, he is a legendary bartender out of New York City. Uh, he is now splitting his time between New York and L.A. and home being L.A. So I guess he felt the need to have a third coast uh, on his resume. Um, but when we first met about seven years ago, he uh, was owner-operator of Ward 3 down in Tribeca. He also owned and operated uh, the Rum House just off of Times Square. So if you've seen the movie uh, The Birdman, so all the bar scenes were filmed in there. Uh, out in L.A., he's been doing, he did the uh, relaunch of Clifton's Cafeteria. And uh, he's going to be helping out the guys over at Employees Only uh, L.A. that I think they just announced last week is uh, happening. So I guess I can, I can say that, too. On top of consulting for all the five new restaurants that are going up at, uh, at Bush. So oh, he, wow. he's doing the beverage consulting on that. He's helping out on that. And he's doing... I don't know how he knows where he is half the time, but he's finishing up uh, the five uh, new restaurants at Bush. He's doing Philly and I think LaGuardia all at the same time. Yeah, and we should say that Employees Only is a legendary New York City cocktail bar, one of the, the pioneers of the, the modern cocktail movement and a, and a bucket list visit for anyone who's yeah. serious about drinking if you go to New York City. And, and the funny story is, is that uh, before EO opened... Deshaun and, and, and some of the guys were all working at a place called uh, the Macau Trading Company down in Tribeca, which is where Michael was working. So it, it used to be if Ward 3 was doing a staff outing, members of employees only would be covering the bar forum and vice versa. So Michael and, and EO have had a, a, a long-standing relationship. And, um, you know, again, EO is you know, really one of the best out there. So for this year? Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, I was on the phone with the contractor this morning. Uh, we could be open in April. So this is an existing space. Sure. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Again, you know, as I said, um, you know, this is something Mike and I started talking about almost four years ago. Um, and, you know, we, we, we would have some opportunities of properties pop up and, and things that we liked. It just never really worked out. And part of the process, um, Michael ended up doing the consulting project uh, that is the Holiday Cocktail uh, Lounge in, in the East Village. Um, so we kind of put things on hold a little bit so he can get that going. His contract with, him, uh, with Holiday ended about a year ago. So then we started getting back into doing things. But the benefit is, is that we talk all the time. We talk a couple times a week. And part of what we wanted to do is really, um, and, and kind of what we talked about, you know, the cocktail bar scene hasn't really changed a whole heck of a lot in the last, say, 15, 18 years that has happened. Everyone kind of takes an approach of that prohibition era, speakeasy, and it's really kind of sexy. And, and people like the taboo notion of kind of going through a hidden door and hidden entrance. But we're at the point now where every city has multiple concepts like that. Uh, Michael and I are both products of the 70s. So we kind of, you know, grew up, uh, you know, late 70s, early 80s. 
with the um you know there was there was a real interesting time of you know the birth of punk rock and um which really kind of fed into rock and roll and and the role that music plays in both of our lives so it's really going to be centered around music and you know we just kind of have a mantra of high fives and hugs and we really just understand that uh, people come into bars because they want to have a good time and have a drink. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a good time. We're going to get people some good drinks and uh, try to give them experience they're not getting anywhere else. All right. Well, that is what I had for you. So if, so unless that is – is that what you had for me or was it – Yeah, that's what I had for you. So Perfect. I, know, I, I mean, again, I kind of teased it to because the last time I was here in July um, – we're, it was kind of like on the fence a little bit. And I was like, well, either we're going to go and we're going to, and this thing's going to happen or it's going to get delayed again. And if it got delayed again, I was probably going to sit down and write a book, you know? All right. So there you go. All right. Well, I know we are way over, but, uh, but I have a, a special whiskey focused version of the lightning round just for you, Mike Raymond. Awesome. All right. Five easy questions, five short answers. Here we go. What's your favorite Texas whiskey? Favorite. Man, you know what? The stuff that Balconies is putting out right now is pretty awesome with a very close Garrison brother behind it. Your favorite whiskey bar outside of Houston? Outside of Houston. Um, you know what? Doorknock Castle, Doorknock Scotland is one of the coolest whiskey collections and probably the best whiskey collection I've seen anywhere in the world. Recommend one bourbon distillery that people who are obsessed with this stuff should make the effort to go visit. You know, honestly... Wild Turkey. I'm, I'm a big Wild Turkey guy. Um, and the fact that you, Jimmy's still hanging out at the distillery and you get to see Jimmy and Eddie. Uh, Bruce should be back in Kentucky here pretty soon and working at the distillery too. So you got three generations of Russell. It's a pretty good trip to take. What's the best deal you ever got at Poison Girl? Man, best deal I got at Poison Girl. That's a good question too. Um, you know, I hate to sound like this guy that I never really look at the bill. <laughs> You know, you know, it, what's it's, the best, what's the best find you ever had where you like, you saw the dusty bottle on the oh, top of yeah. the shelf. So, so the best one of those was, so Buffalo Trace, you know, does the, um, you know, the, uh, um, uh, experimental line. So this is probably 11 or 12 years ago. They came out with a cab franc, uh, finished, uh, Buffalo Trace and, and they had that there. Uh, and this was maybe eight or 10 years ago. Um, you know, again, Poison Girl is just such a great bar. Um, it's, it's, I don't get to go out to bars that much anymore. It's, it's kind of one of the sad realities of my world, but I really dig Poison Girl. And then finally, you're a Jersey guy. Happy or sad about the Eagles finally winning the Super Bowl? So, you know, I, I don't care, you know, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, I listen. I, you know, I have, I have, uh, I have a cousin that's in Philadelphia. Uh, I have the wife of a really good buddy of mine is a huge Philly fan, and they're in London. Uh, so w- waking up this morning and seeing all of her posts from last night, mm. running around bars in London, was great. So you know, if I had to pick, look, I, I grew up a Jets fan, and you know, I think so. We all, you know, true suffering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, we all know that you know, Jets stands for uh, just end the season, but. Uh, but by default, I cannot root for anything out of Boston. So the fact that they did not win and they had a chance, um, you know, look, I'm happy for Philly and, 
Uh, does it change my world? No. And if the Patriots won, that wouldn't really change my world either. I'd kind of hard eye roll and say, all right, whatever, and go on. But, you know, obviously I've been here for 18 years in Houston. Um, I'm really excited about the Texans. All right. Um, Mike, thank you. Thank you. Love it. We can uh, follow all the goings on at Reserve 101 at Reserve101.com and the Facebook page that's updated like all the time. Yeah, all uh, that stuff. And then I guess I should put out there. So if we're looking to open up sometime in April, if people are looking for jobs or something like that, uh, feel free to email you, email me your resume, Mike at Reserve101.com. Or if you have questions about whiskey or you want to send me hate mail because you didn't like what I said about some group or something or something, by all means, send it to me. I'm, I'm pretty personable. <laughs> and when you... Uh, and when you work for Mike, you leave with your tips every night. You do. Uh, I'm a big believer in that. Is um, you know, I, I don't touch the staff's money other than if it's sitting in my safe because because the person left early. But yeah, it's um, staff pulls their credit card tips uh, that night, and uh, I don't mind waiting a day or two to have the credit cards be processed and get the money back, you know, reimbursed back to me. But yeah, I don't, I don't want to touch staff money. That's their money. They earn it. Uh, you don't tweet very often, but you are on Twitter at Risky Revolt. I am. I haven't been on Twitter in a long time. I, it kind of lost my interest a little bit, but uh, I guess at some point I'll, I'll have an Instagram, so we'll keep it at, at Whiskey Revolt. Uh, I am on Facebook, so find me on there. I usually have some either really stupid memes that make me laugh or... Or links to articles about whiskey. Yeah, yeah there you go. Uh, Nathan Ketchum, we can follow you on Twitter at H-Town Food Junkie. Uh, theoretically on Instagram, even though you stubbornly refuse to use it. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at E. Sandler, on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest bar and restaurant news. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I'll be back in time.